want us to read uh, the, uh, the text for today. Um, on the count of three. One, two, oh, wait, we have to wait till it comes up. There it goes. Oh, one, two, three. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now we're going to jump down to verse 12. One, two, three. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely slept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was brute a beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me in my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are... Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm reading it to 27. Sorry. I'll read it to you. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. If you follow Christ, if you pursue Jesus, if you look to Jesus as your refuge, your strength, one thing that I can guarantee that, is going to, that you are going to experience is doubt. One thing that you are certain to experience is doubt. It happens to all of us. Now, when it happens to us, we've been talking about our emotions. We've been in a series called Throughway or God's Throughway. And what we've been saying is that when emotions are overwhelming, when we feel like the emotions in our lives are taking us over, what do we do? Well, there are two ways to deal with it. And I've been saying this all week. I, I mean, for the whole series, I hope to say it for the rest of the series. I really want this to get down into our heads and into our hearts. That when we 
feel overwhelmed by emotions, there's two responses. There's the religious response, and there's the irreligious response. There's the Christ-centered, there's the, um, the Christianese kind of response, and then there's the, the uh, sort of secular type of response. The one response, and we'll talk about the religious response, the religious response is simple. It's simply to stuff everything that we feel. Don't give it any kind of expression. You stuff it, act like it's not there, you ignore it, and by that, you think it's gone. That's the religious way of doing it. But if you deal with your emotions in the religious way, stuffing it, ignoring it, acting like it's not there, if you deal with it in that way, what you will find is that your body will, <laughs> what you forget, your body keeps score about. I mean, literally, you'll have ulcers, you'll have, uh, you won't be able to sleep. See, the, we, we don't want the religious way of dealing with our emotions, and we don't want the irreligious way of dealing with our emotions, which is to vent, to give them so much energy, to give them so much power. We think that if we just vent them, then that's what we are then that's who we are. But our feelings are just a portion of who we are. They're not all of who we are. But when we vent, we think that, that expression, that satisfies dealing with the situation and where we're at and how we feel. And what we've been saying is that we don't want to deal with our emotions that way. We don't want to deal them in the religious way of ignoring our feelings, avoiding our feelings. We don't want to deal with them in the irreligious way of venting our feelings, we want to deal with them in a gospel way, in a biblical way. So what other choice is there if we don't avoid or vent? What other choice is there? Well, what we've been talking about throughout the series is that we're going to pray our feelings. We're going to pray our feelings, and today we're going to learn about how to pray our doubts. How to pray when Doubt has clouded our mind when our thoughts can't get through. When we experience doubt, there's a lot of things that we experience, but two main things that we experience are two questions that we ask in our minds. There are two main questions that we ask when we experience doubt. One of them is this, is God real? That's the first question we ask when we experience doubt. Is God real? It's a tough question sometimes. And the psalmist has to deal with this question. Is God real? Are you even there? And then... But there's a second question that we have to wrestle with. When we experience doubt, when you and I wrestle with doubt, here's the second question we wrestle with. It's this. Is God worth it? Think about that. Is God worth it? Come on. Listen. Is God real? Are you there? And if you are there, yeah, you're real. But really, are you worth it? Because she looks really worth it. And, and he looks like a dream. And this path that I'm taking looks like it'll pay a lot more dividends than following you. Are you really worth following? 
See, when doubt happens, those two questions always at play. Is God real? And is he worth it? To the degree that you pursue sin, you've answered those questions in the negative. To the degree that you don't, you've answered them in the positive. You see, as we look at this, God knows that every one of us are going to go through doubt. He knows that every one of us are going to experience the kind of doubt that rocks our world, that shakes our faith, that keeps us paralyzed from going forward. And so this message is very important. It's important to all of us because every one of us will experience doubt. And that doubt doesn't stay just with God. It has an effect on our marriage, with our children, with our friends, with our work, with our finances, how we deal with life. It has an effect on every area. And so we, we want to address this thing, doubt. Is God, are you real? Because what I'm feeling right now feels a lot more real than you do. God, are you worth it? Because right now, everything in me says that this thing is worth it. That they are worth it. That that is worth it. That it is worth it. Much more than you. So we see that God is going to know, God knows that all of us will struggle with this issue of doubt. When you're there, I want you to know you're not alone. You struggle without me too. It was an encouraging thing one time. I was reading um, Billy Graham's uh, autobiography. Anybody here ever read Billy Graham? It's, it's bigger than the Bible. It's like, I'm not kidding. It's like, it, it probably has more pages. Than, it's like this, like two inches thick. I, but it was fascinating. The guy had, like, traveled all the world. Like, one of the most fascinating figures of the 20th century. He's still alive. Well, Billy Graham, he, he, he wrote that it was an error, like, in the 40s or the 50s, where there was a new kind of thinking that was coming up that was questioning whether the Bible was true, whether God is real, whether it, we can, it, it can be trusted. And the arguments that I get to enjoy now that are easy, they were still formulating and working through and thinking through. And Billy Graham says that he got to a point where, and there was this really famous pastor, like of a church of a thousand people, who, who literally turned his back on Christ and became an atheist and started writing books on atheism. And he was one of the guys who was like, you know, friends with Billy Graham and, you know, acquaintances and all that stuff. And Billy Graham literally remembered, I remember he, he literally, he went up for a walk, like he's, like that's part of what he does, right? Um, for those of you who are young, Billy Graham was an evangelist of the 20th century, um, is a really big figure in the 20th century. Um, and so he, he, he went out, and he just he wrestled and wrestled with doubt. And that's a comfort. That's a comfort, because we all do. None of us. If our faith is true, if our faith is real, there's going to be a moment where you and I come smack up against doubt. God knows this, and so he gives us all sorts of scriptures, but this psalm is a key um, scripture on how to address and deal with doubt. I want to point some things out before we get to how to deal with doubt, but I want to point you some things out here in this text. He says in the first two verses, I want you to see this, it's real powerful. Look at it with me, first two verses. Surely God 
is good to Israel. Now, jump to verse 2. But as for me, I want you to see that. There's surely, and then there's but. Surely this is true. But me, this is where I'm at. Surely that is right and good, and surely that is truth. But for me right now, and that's sort of the the inception of doubt. See, you want to know what causes doubt? Here's what causes doubt. What causes doubt is when our head and our heart are at war. We go through the surely and the but. Surely and the but. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Of course that's true. But as for me, you see, there's this tussle, this wrestling match, this war that takes place. What causes doubt is when our head and our heart are at war. Doubts, I'm going to read this from my notes because I want to get this just right. Doubts don't come because we don't believe in the evidence, but because we can't believe the evidence in light of what's happening in our hearts. That was Tim Keller. They don't come because we don't believe the evidence, but because we can't believe the evidence in light of what's going on in our hearts. It comes up to every one of us. I want you to know that at the very beginning of this psalm, it it says, this is a psalm of Asaph. This is a psalm of Asaph. That's the title of it. You you have to know, Asaph was a spiritual giant. There's a whole section of psalms. Like he has the next, uh, this and the next 10 psalms. I think it's like 11 psalms that he writes. I don't know about you, but I've never written, I've never been such a spiritual giant that I've written anything in the Bible right? Like no scripture has my name on it, right? Asaph is that kind of spiritual giant. And when that spiritual giant says that he goes through struggles, that he goes through doubts, you can know that all of us go through doubts. But it's an issue of the head and the heart. So what can cause our head and our heart to be at war? Well, the, the psalmist, he, he's gonna, I'm going to tell you what caused him, but let me tell you what causes Recovery House of Worship, what, what causes us to doubt. The first one that I would tell you is suffering. When we suffer, when you and I go through pain, when our marriages feel like they're falling apart, when our children are no longer healthy, when our singleness has gone for too long, when our work doesn't seem to be picking up, when our health seems to be going down, when tragedy strikes, suffering will cause us to doubt. It's the war. I know, God, you're good, but I don't feel your goodness. I know, God, you're powerful, but I'm feeling pretty weak right now. You see, it's a war between our head 
It's a war between our hearts. What we feel and what we know to be true. You ever experienced that? Have you ever, have you ever been in a place where your heart feels like it's going to just disintegrate? And you go, God, I don't even think you're there anymore. It's a war between our head and our hearts. You know, you know what else? And again, I'm going to get to what the psalmist deals with. There's a hundred thousand things. I'm talking about the recovery house of worship. I'm talking about those of you who are watching right now. One is suffering. You know what the other one that causes doubts to spring up? It's simple. Sin. Sin does it. When you take a nosedive into sin, when you start pursuing sin in such a way that you're finding your delight in the sin rather than finding your delight in Christ, when you do that, what happens is questions, doubt. Now, I want you to know that God loves dignifying questions with answers. And Satan loves keeping questions in the air to keep doubt on your heart. When Satan wants you to doubt, he'll just ask you a thousand questions and it'll never occur to you. I should probably answer one of those. Satan will say, oh, and yeah, and you're going through this and God loves you? Just leave it hanging in the air. Never thinking to answer, well, yeah, the Father Love the son, Jesus, and look at what he went through. So obviously, I can go through suffering and still God experience God's love. But, but Satan doesn't want you to go to that answer. Satan wants you to stay with the question. You see, sin will cause you. Now watch this. I can't tell you how many times this has happened, right? So what happens is um, somebody comes to Christ at the recovery house of worship. It's powerful. God changes their life. They're young. They're like, you know, life is turning around. Or they're older. They just stopped, uh, uh, you know, maybe living a licentious lifestyle, going in sin, moving in that sort of lifestyle. And they go, you know what? Jesus has freed me. I feel fantastic. I mean, it's wonderful. And then you know what happens, right? They start walking and then and then temptation comes their way. And here's what, here's what they do. Here's what they do. They go, they dip their foot into sin, and they go, they look around, and look, the roof didn't fall in. You know, the newspapers didn't write anything. They're okay. And then they sin again. And then they sin again. And then they sin again. Then they read the article in the New York Times. Then they watch the History Channel about the real Jesus that is not the real Jesus at all. Then they listen to the professor say, oh, yeah, the Bible, oh, gosh, it's just a ridiculous ancient book that was just written by man. Yeah, psh, who needs that? That's just, that's just malarkey. That's nonsense. Then, then they're like, oh, I have these questions. I have these doubts. Da, 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 da. It started back here with this sin, doubt never comes alone. But what doubt is, is a war between your head and your heart. Now look at what Asaph says. He says, but as for me, in verse 2, 
But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. You see, when we think we're grounded, when we think that nothing can shake us, things happen. And we feel like we've lost the ground from under us. He says, I had nearly lost my foothold. If you ever see that in the Old Testament, it's, I, he's saying, I, I nearly was cast out into death or hell. His doubt was real. He nearly lost his faith. Because what was happening was so difficult for him. Now, let me tell you what, let me go on. Those of you who are here and you're suffering, and you're experiencing suffering, not for a week or a month or a year, but it's been a really long time that you've been experiencing suffering, I want you to know that the absence of pain does not equate to the absence of God's presence or his goodness. I can tell you that during the times of my greatest sorrow, God's presence was felt the deepest. But what happens is is that Satan wants you to run away from the very one who can make sense of it all. He wants you to run away and pursue something that's not Jesus in order to find your satisfaction and be delighted. Asaph's problem, Asaph's reason for doubt is simple. It was injustice. It was injustice. He says this, For I envied the arrogant. You see that in verse 3? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my, let me just stay with 12. This is, they're always free from care. They go on amassing wealth. Isn't that the way it feels like sometimes? You ever, you ever um, see that, uh, that the wicked seem to get ahead and the ungodly seem to move forward and amass? You know, and they, they, it's like nothing is wrong. Number one, you, you have to know that doubt will give you warped perceptions, and you have to, that's why we have to have a community around us to go, now, is that really true? Now, I know that there's a lot of this in the world, but you have to understand that when we're comparing people's outsides to our insides, that's a slippery slope. You cannot compare people's highlight reels to your backstage footage and expect to come out on top. Does that make sense? This is what the wicked are like, always free. And, and, you know, we didn't read verse 4 through 11 because this is like a really long psalm. But they, he goes on to say, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free. It's like, it's like oh, my gosh, they're, you know, they can, you know, if they're a guy, you know, they, you know, they, they always can wear a waist size 32. And, uh, you know, they always look great and are strong. And it's like, nah, yeah, I guess that's what it looks like. And then he says this. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. 
Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what's going on here? He's asking the questions. Is God real? And is God worth it? Oh, in vain. Look at all this I've done. I've kept my hands clean. I've kept my heart pure. But for what? What has it ever got me? He's asking the question, is God worth it? And it's a question that when you and I doubt, we will wrestle with, we will struggle with. Listen, I'm not as young as I used to be. I can tell you I've been with the Lord for over 20 years. I can tell you that the answer to that is yes and yes. God is real and he's so worth it. There's, there's a joy that is found in Christ. But let me tell you, when you're going through your doubt, don't feel that way. When you're facing your struggle, not necessarily feel that way. When you're going through your temptation and you're wondering, hey, is God real and is he worth it or can I get my satisfaction from him, from her, from it, from that? When, when that's happening, so what do we do? How do we get to that point where we can come back and go, you know what? Like David. Remember David? David, he goes, you know, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen him. I just, I mean, you know, it might have happened somewhere else, but I, I've lived a long time. I've seen a lot of lives, but I'm telling you, I've never seen it. How do you get from struggling with doubt to I've never seen him forsaken? How do you get to that distance? How do you get to that? Well, it says so in this text. I want us to take a look at it. Here's the first point. So here are three things to do when doubts come in. Now, if you have a pen, a pencil, or mascara, I want you to write this down. Three things to do when doubt comes. The first one is very simple. It's very, very simple. I want you to simply... Doubt your doubts. Here's the problem. What, what happens is, is we believe our doubts and we doubt our beliefs. But what, I, what I'm telling you the scriptures say is believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. You, you want to see this? It's in verse 3. Look at, well, write this down. Doubt your doubts. And I'm going to read verse 3 to you. For, wait, I had nearly, look at it in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he says this, I had nearly lost my foothold. I had nearly lost my foothold. For, how did you almost fall into not believing God? How did you almost fall off the faith track? For, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here's the first deal when you doubt your doubts. Recognize that your motives are never pure when it comes to doubting. 
There's always something there. There's always something bubbling up. There's always something. You see, like, it's what we talked about just earlier on. Now you doubt after the sin, after the running from God. Now you doubt. That, that doubt is not coming by itself. It's coming from somewhere else in the suffering. Now you doubt. Listen, doubt your doubts. Work the gospel in on your doubts. Yes, it feels like I'm all alone, but God knew that I would feel this way. And therefore, in his word, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Never forsake you. So, I got to doubt my doubts. Yeah, it feels that way. But why would Jesus ever say, I'll never leave you? I never tell that to my son. Unless... He's afraid that I'm going to, when um, we had this uh, song that we had to sing with my son because he would cry every time we would leave, especially his mom, like he's, he's going to be a mama's boy for sure. My youngest son, um, my four-year-old son. Um, yeah, it's not a bad thing, right? Like that's pretty cool. I, you know, it's, that's not, it's a good deal. But um, we would have to uh, sing this little phrase. We would have to say, grown-ups come back, grown-ups come back. I don't know where we got it from. I think, the, I think my wife got it from some show or something like that. But it was like, it was like, grown-ups come back. And what it was to him was a comfort to remind him that he will not be alone forever. That while his mom and his poppy, while they, were, while they would feel like they're far away, they're not far away. They're just a, they're just a few minutes away. They're going to come back. They're gonna, he's going to experience the intimacy that he's always had before. Even though he has not seen him, he can still remain in contact. There was the phone. There's uh, you know, emails. There's text messages. There's pictures that we send back and forth. There's a connection that we have that cannot be broken by distance, and it cannot be broken by the senses that he's experienced. Experiencing because grown-ups come back. Can I tell you? Jesus never leaves. He never leaves. Doesn't matter what your situation is. Doesn't matter how you feel. Jesus never leaves. But I feel all alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't understand. It doesn't matter what your senses say. It doesn't matter what your circumstances say. I'm telling you, Jesus is present. He promises to never leave or never forsake, and his promises are more reliable than your senses. Doubt your doubts. Don't surrender to your doubts. You have a very stable faith in Jesus. When he doubted, Asaph did. He at least acknowledged. It was envy. There was jealousy involved. I have a deep sense of envy for these people. By the way, if you ever have the thought, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? I just want to let you know, that only happened one time. And he volunteered. All of us, all of us have experienced pain and suffering due because, number one, this is a wicked world, and two, because we have a wicked heart. Good things, bad things only happen to good people. It only happened once, and he volunteered. You should ask, why do good things happen to bad people? Because then I would be in that category. I know you don't think of yourself that way, but if I asked your ex if I talk to your boss, if I talk to your last uh, few business uh, agreements or whatever, you would find out that you're not as good as you think you are 
None of us are. None of us are. So what's the first thing? If we're going to combat doubt, what's the first thing God is going to kind of elevate or kind of bubble in our hearts? It starts with a D. The, the first thing we're going to do is what? Doubt our doubts. Say that with me. The first thing we're going to do is what? Doubt our doubts. Doubt your doubts. Second thing we're going to do when doubts come is worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Now, here's the thing. When you have a war between your head and your heart and your affections are saying, but I really need this to be happy. If I Listen, Jesus, if I have this thing but don't have you, I will call that heaven. But let me be honest with you. If I have you but not this thing, I'll call that hell. You see, when our affections have been taken over, when they... Something has grabbed a hold of our hearts. We need our affections to go back to Christ. And that doesn't happen by arguing with yourself. Let me tell you something. I, I, when, I, when I go through storms, I have this thing. I, I just play. I, God gives songs to me. Now, if you ask me about of course I have scriptures. But I'm telling you, when I want to stir my affections for Jesus... The, the, the one that I've been doing for the last two months, maybe, is, um, oh my gosh, Marvin Sapp? Yes. Never would have made it, never would have made it without you, I'd have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me, now I say, never would have made it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It's a, like, that song might not do nothing for you. It stirs me up. It stirs my affections up for Jesus. you got to put your heart in a place because you've been giving your heart to this thing, this thing that's causing you to doubt. Your affections are being turned towards this thing. So you have to have an opportunity to turn your affections to Christ. The scriptures, as we read the scriptures, and go, oh man, lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Lord, when you say with, what do you mean? I mean, and you hear Jesus say, I mean, closer than your shirt. I mean, closer than the hair on your body. You mean, when you say with, you mean intimate, kissy, huggy, close? Yeah, closer than that. It's rehearsing the truth of the gospel, saying that while I suffer, if it's suffering, because remember, we doubted our doubts. We're trying to get to the root of where our doubt is. He's going through, he sees injustice in the world, and he envied um, others. So he's getting to the root of his doubt. And some of us, it's suffering, and others of us, it's sin. But whatever it is that comes at us, we come to him, we just go, oh God, you are a forgiver of sin. You forgive you have nothing but wicked people to forgive, of which I am one. And, and you draw to yourself, and you delight from your hand. Oh, beloved, I'm telling you, when you start sitting in the presence of God, and you start singing the gospel into your heart, the person who taught me this best, I think, was Shelley. Shelley, uh, some of you know, um, is the worship leader here, and... 
and her, her baby was born with uh, trisomy 18. She's shared the testimony here on Easter. And like, her, David, her baby's been uh, told that she's not going to live more times than you and I have ever heard in our whole lives. And, and, and she would text me, oh, man, I heard this song. And it just made me love Jesus. And so, so just like that, that the gospel getting screwed into our hearts, getting just tightened, tightened into our hearts. So watch this. So it's not helpful if you're experiencing doubts and you're listening to music that, that would not stir your affections for Jesus. Do you understand? I, I remember this happened to me when I first came to Christ. The only station I knew that was this, was this one station that only played old hymns on an organ. And to tell you, I mean, you know, I come from the world of like 70s, 80s, and 90s rap, hip-hop, R&B, you know, like that, you know, right? So like that's sort of the music that I grew up, R&B, soul, rap. And so to say that I had a shock in transferring my listening from, uh, say, Luther Vandross to, you know, the organ music that I was listening to. But I'm telling you, I just said, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to the, to the way the music is being played. I'm just going to focus on the lyrics and let it stir my affections for Jesus. And it was a choir taste, but I... So that songs is one of the ways. Meditating, reading scriptures. There are scriptures. If you're weak, there are scriptures to remind you that he's strong. If you feel broken, there are scriptures that remind you that he mends. If you are, if you are in your sin, there is scripture that reminds you that he turns you to himself so that you can find delight, not in your sin, but rather in Christ. If you've come to him after a long period of, of running away from him, he still calls you child. He's still your father. There are scriptures that would stir your affections. So if, we, if our affections are being stirred by doubt, by the thing behind doubt, then we need to worship the Lord. We need to stir our affections. We see this in verse 17. Look at it, what he says in verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. In other words, he was in a situation where he needed to experience, to worship, to hear the word of, to hear the testimony of, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You need that too. We all do. Okay, quickly. Thirdly. So the first one is if we're going to deal with doubt, if we're going to combat doubt, what's the first thing we're going to do? What's the one? Number one is what? Doubt our doubts. The second one is what? Sure, and then the third is feel his grip. Feel his grip. This is important because we need to be reminded that when we doubt, God has not let, God has not let go of us. God has not let go of us. We see this in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me. Say that with me. You hold me by my right hand. I love that. I love that. I don't hold you. You hold me. Man, that's good news. 
um, again, with my son, we were walking. My daughter and I were walking. Um, yesterday was like uh, comic book day. Did anybody know that? Yeah. I knew that all of you knew that. Because, right, yeah, you're down like that. No, yeah, you have to be a geek like me to know that. So it was like um, comic book day. And so we went to a comic book store. We, I was with my daughter, Lydia, and my son, David. And we're carrying him. And he does this thing. He does this thing where if you have both of his hands, he goes like this. I mean, like with real enthusiasm. He throws himself, flips himself back, like head over heels, flips himself back, and then lands on his feet when we have his hands. Well, Lydia didn't have his hands that good. But listen, but I'm his father. And the question isn't, was David holding on to me? The question is, was I holding on to David? And so he went and did that, and none of us saw it coming. Like, it wasn't like he said, oh, I'm going to do this. He did it, and he went, and Lydia lost her grip. And I went down, but I, I held him. I kept his head from hitting the floor, crushing his skull, right? Now watch this. Was that because David was so strong? No. David could throw himself back even without letting us know, even if his sister didn't know, because his father was holding on to his hand. Our problem sometimes is when we're experiencing doubt, we forget to go, oh, you're holding on to my hand. You're holding on to me. The question isn't a matter of how strong my faith is. The question is how strong is my God, and he's holding on to my hand. Do you have a temptation that you're going through? You don't know. Listen, he's holding on to your hand. Do you find something more delightful than Jesus and it's creating a doubt in you if whether God is real or not? He's holding on to your hand. Do you, are you not sure what the future holds? You can be sure at who holds the future. He's holding on to your hands. Now, we have, musicians are going to come up. We have um, communion. I wanted to put all this so, there, so I, I want to kind of go through real fast about what we learned today about doubt, okay? Because we learned a lot, okay? So let's look at it real quickly. Number one, when doubt comes in, there are two questions that come up. Do you remember what they are? Is God real and is God worth it? Every time you struggle with doubt, and by the way, let me add, every time you struggle with sin, every time you struggle with temptation, these are the two questions at stake. Is God real? Is he worth it? Secondly, we said, the thing that causes doubt is when our heads and our heart are at war. So our affections are at war with what we know to be true. Thirdly, we said, the thing that struggles, the thing that leads us to doubt more than anything else, at least in the recovery house of worship in the 21st century, here in, you know, sort of New York area, it's this. It's suffering and it's sin. It's suffering and it's sin. And then finally, we said there's one way we need to, there's, there's a way to combat this. And it's this. Three things to do when doubts come. And one is, say it with me, Doubt your doubts, worship the Lord, feel his grace. Okay, not like you're just about to, ready to go to sleep. Let's try that one more time, okay? All right, let's try it again. One, doubt your doubts, 
Two. Worship. Three. Now, here's the deal. You're not going to be able to do that. You know why. Because you and I suck at doing this stuff. We absolutely are terrible. I'll give you three, three steps to you know, overcome doubt, and you'll leave here, and when you go out those doors, you won't do it. You simply won't do it. You know why? You don't have the power to do it. You don't have the strength to do it. Your doubt will feel overwhelming. But here, remember when we talked about worship the Lord? Here's where we get to worship God even more. Listen to me. There was one who experienced unspeakable suffering but never wavered. There was one. There was one whose worship never ceased. And he, Jesus, experienced the punishment that he did not deserve, but rather that was put on him because he experienced the punishment that we deserved. There was one. Listen. There was one who the father had to say to his son. God the father said to God the son, I gotta let go of your hand. And the wrath of God fell on him. The punishment for every sin that you and I have ever committed fell on Christ. And so we reflect on that and we worship the king who would go so far to save his subjects. We worship the one who gave his life so that we could have life. We worship the one who had his hand let go of so that he could never let go of our hand. We worship that God. And so you can't do it. So rehearse the gospel. If you're experiencing a time, especially if you're experiencing a time where your faith is growing and you feel like Jesus is really becoming alive to you. I want you to rehearse the gospel. Rehearse worshiping Jesus. Go, Jesus, that temptation looks good, but you're so much better. Because I think that drinking from that well will satisfy my thirst, but you've reminded me that you are a well of a spring of living water that will never make me thirst. If I partake in that sin, I am going to thirst for that sin again. But if I get satisfied in Christ, so Lord, be my satisfaction. Rock my world, curl my toes so that I might know that you are King and God and Lord and enough.